Thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And I pray that your spirit would take what is yours and apply it uh, into our minds and into our hearts, into our actions, into our values, uh, into our perspectives. Uh, Help us to become more like our Lord Jesus. Uh, We want that, and we know that happens through your word. So would you do your amazing supernatural work through your word in our hearts and change us, please? And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Song of Solomon. Two words, marital love. If you had a chance to read it, that's probably not surprising to you. You may have had to read between the lines a little bit, but it's in there. Marital love. Written by Solomon, as it says, this is Solomon's Song of Songs. Uh, It could mean, remember he wrote, what, a thousand five songs? Could mean it's the best of the thousand five, or it could mean it's the best song ever written. Something like that. When, of course, it has to be during the time when he was ruling and reigning, and that was 971 to 931. He probably wrote it while in Jerusalem as king. Why? The purpose of the book is to extol human love and marriage. Though at first this seems strange, on reflection, it is not surprising for God to have included in the biblical canon a book endorsing the beauty and purity of marital love. And so it gets included in the wisdom literature, Solomon, likely its author. Uh, Some general considerations as we get into the book. It's a poetic drama. Some of you love poetry. Some of you get poetry. Some of you don't. Uh, If if you're a Western person instead of an Eastern person, Western people don't get poetry as much, but this was written, the the people who read this would have completely understood what was going on here. You and I have to go, oh, I'd rather he wrote an essay, but instead it's a poetic drama, so you have to kind of follow these things. What does it mean? That means it's filled with metaphors and uses allusions rather than straightforward descriptions. Okay? It's been taken metaphorically as a whole. There are some good scholars who would believe that the Song of Solomon describes in a metaphorical way the love the Lord has for Israel. Uh, Is that true? Yes, the Lord does love Israel. Others have, other good scholars have seen that this is the love Christ has for his church. Fair enough. Uh, Is it true that the Lord loves his church? Yes. And even calls her his bride on numerous occasions in the New Testament. But it should be understood first and foremost as a divine story of a maturing married love. When it makes sense, 
the straightforward way, we should just take it the straightforward way. And so that's the way we're going to take it. It's a divine story of a maturing married love. Let me introduce you to Herbert and Zelmyra Fisher of North Carolina. Now, in 2012, uh, they've probably both, uh, they're probably both with Jesus now. This is from 2012. Uh, in 2012, they had been married 85 years. 85 years married, yes. That means, for those of you are doing some quick math, Zelmyra is 101 at the time, and Herbert was 104. Married for 85 years. So they got on us. I'm sure they didn't, but someone got them on Twitter and asked them some questions. And so here, here were the questions and the answers. What made you realize that you could spend the rest of your lives together? Uh, they both answered, with each day that passed, our relationship was more solid and secure. Eighty-five <laughs> years. How did you know your spouse was the right one for you? We grew up together and were best friends before we married. A friend is for life. Our marriage has lasted a lifetime. Is there anything you would do differently after more than 80 years of marriage? We wouldn't change a thing. There's no secret to our marriage. We just did what was needed for each other and our family. What is your advice to someone who is trying to keep the faith that Mr. Wright or Miss Wright is really out there? Zelmyra, that's the wife, says, mine was just around the corner. <laughs> he was never too far away, so keep the faith. When you meet him, you'll know. What is your best Valentine's Day memory? Zelmyra, I cook dinner every day. Herbert left work early and surprised me. I'm looking at you men with a knowing eye. Herbert left work early and surprised me. He cooked dinner for me. He is a very good cook. Herbert said, I said that I was going to cook dinner for her and she could relax. The look on her face and clean plate made my day. So sweet. At the end of a bad relationship day, what is the most important thing to remind yourselves? Remember, marriage is not a contest. Never keep score. God has put the two of you together on the same team to win. Eighty-five years. Herbert and Zelmyra Fisher. Yeah. 
general considerations from Song of Solomon, here's the bottom line. This is what Herbert and Zelmyra would want us to know. It takes hard work to love your spouse well. Hard work. In the Song of Solomon, we're going to see what that hard work looks like. But that's what the Song of Solomon, bottom line, is about. It takes hard work to love your spouse well. This book breaks up in a fairly straightforward outline, and I'm going to try to walk you through that and kind of have some running commentary along the way. And then at the end, we'll talk about some applications. First, first kind of two-ish start of three chapters, is the king courts his bride. Now, uh, I've already been asked, who are the, uh, you know, there's the young woman, okay, and she goes um, without further identification than a Shulam, a woman from Shulam. Could she be the Shunammite woman that we've just been, remember, that was with David? Uh, it's possible. All things are possible. N- not likely, but possible. Uh, who are the young women of Jerusalem? I don't know. I'm assuming they're young women of Jerusalem. The young women of Jerusalem is a poetic device to help explain some feelings, or it's almost like a narrator who every once in a while says something to make sure you got the point of what's happening. Okay, so in this poetic drama, there's somebody kind of standing off behind the curtain every once in a while who says something. So you have the young woman and you have the young man. The young woman is obviously the object of Solomon's attention and affection, and she feels likewise. So they start off. The king courts his bride. They're attracted physically, and we see that in words like, how fragrant your cologne, verse 3. Your name is like its spreading fragrance. Uh, No wonder all the young women love you. Uh, the cologne is more than likely some kind of purified oil, which may even have been used for a holy purpose, or at least a, mm, a, a religious part of the service. It's likely that uh, the purified oil is also connected with the name, because the other thing that she's attracted to, right, how fragrant your cologne Your name is like its spreading fragrance. What is a person's name? It's their character. So they're not only attracted to each other physically, but they're attracted by each other's character. There's a lot of instances. uh, So Solomon, or sorry, the young woman, she says in verse 5, I'm dark but beautiful, and we find out that's because her her brothers kept her outside working in the, in the vineyard, right? If you got all the way to the end, you find out, oh, she's been outdoors her whole life tending the vineyard because her brothers were watching over her and that was her job. 
she says, they forced me to care for their vineyards. So there's a couple of sides to that story. Uh, so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. She was uh, definitely industrious, and she was, another good thing in there is she was obedient to authority. So as the writer is going through this, they're pointing out um, not only physical things, but character issues. She wants to know where he's leading his flocks because she doesn't want to be mistaken for the wrong kind of woman. So she's morally upright and she's committed to purity. All of these things are good. How does he feel about her? Oh, most beautiful woman, how lovely are your cheeks? How lovely is your neck? And he talks about some things like that. Um, They kind of go back and forth with those sorts of things. They're attracted physically, but they're also attracted to each other's character. We find out about the king, that he is pure and holy. He's a godly man. His name is attractive to her. The young woman is industrious, obedient to her brothers, in fact, a servant, and she's morally upright and committed to purity. So, beginning in verse 12, uh, so the king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. So, they've gone out to dinner, right? It's like they went on a date. Got it? So, they eat together. Where do they eat? Uh, They eat, uh, let's see, where does it say? Oh, down here in 16 and 17. They're eating in the open and out in the light. So they have their first date. She finds the king to be gentle and complimentary to be tender and sweet, and even his memory is precious to her heart. She finds that he is pursuing her exclusively. She, he is protecting and nourishing her soul and honoring and respecting her. So let's look at two, three, and four. Uh, she says... He's the finest apple tree in the orchard. I delight to sit in his shade and uh, taste his delicious fruit. And you go, whoa, 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 don't go too far with this. This is their first date. Okay? The shade is his protection, and feeding on the fruit is nourishment. He escorts me to the banquet hall. That's a sign of respect. It's obvious how much he loves me. Strengthen me with raisin cakes. That was on our first date. That's exactly what Laurie said to me. She said, strengthen me with raisin cakes. (laughs) I don't even know what a raisin cake is. Strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples, for I am weak with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. And she's expressing her passion and her desire. And then 
she says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. He honors her. He respects her. He's um, treating her right. He finds the young woman, back in 2-3, increasingly respects him. And so their passions grow in, through chapter 2 in the beginning of chapter 3. The young woman begins feeling more passionate. That's why she wants to be strengthened with raisin cakes. <laughs> Men, I don't know if you have a recipe for raisin cakes, <laughs> but I bet you can Google one. She begins to feel more passionate. She begins to have a longing for physical intimacy. What happens? The king responds with patience and self-control. There's a time and a place for love, but not now. It must await a future season for intimacy. Do not awaken love until the time is right or until the season is right. Very interesting change from their culture to ours, don't you think? If you want to say, who, ha who has been forced to be in control of relationships in our culture? The women. Woe, stop, woe, stop. Instead of the man saying, I'm not, we're not going there. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to take charge. Huge difference in our culture and their culture. In this one... Her passions are beginning to be aroused. I mean, it's, he's the king. Probably handsome. He's got a great chariot and 60 guys that run around in front of it. I mean, what woman wouldn't want that? She begins to feel passionate, and instead of Solomon going, yes, he goes, not now. Not now. There will be a time for that, but not now. I love this picture of Solomon. I happen to think it's earlier in his life rather than later in his life because uh, he doesn't seem to manifest the same level of self-control as he gets a little bit older. So here the king is courting his bride. Their passions are beginning to grow. She's beginning to feel feelings. He's responding with patience and self-control and we're reminded that springtime is the season for love. He says in uh, 10, verse 10, My lover said to me, Rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. Look, the winter is past, and the rains are over and gone. The flowers are springing up. The season of singing birds has come, and the cooing of turtle doves fills the air. The fig trees are forming young fruit and the fragrant grapevines are blossoming. Rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. Spring has come. Their mutual passions begin to grow. And yet, verse 14, my dove is hiding behind the rocks, behind an outcrop on the cliff. 
Let me see your face, Solomon says. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. What's going on with her? She's feeling a little insecure and doesn't want to be led on. Gosh, it's almost like the Bible knows people. I don't know. Isn't that crazy? She doesn't want to be led on. What does Solomon do? He reassures her of his commitment to her. Together, as they continue on through chapter 2 and into the beginning of chapter 3, their trust in each other is growing and deepening. Maybe it started in the winter season, if you want to think of it that way. Now we're into the spring. Don't know exactly how long that is, but that could be maybe six months, right? Three months for winter, three months for spring. Time has elapsed here. They start talking about, um, in verse 15, I know some of you are like, what in the world is this? Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. What? Foxes were known to get into vineyards and eat the fruit, eat the, eat the little flowers and buds so the fruit couldn't ever form. So that's what foxes did in vineyards. There's a metaphor going on here. These are the little sins that could get into their relationship and destroy the whole thing. And so what do they start, what do they start getting on guard for? The little foxes that could start running in and through their relationship right now. This is good. Good for you, Solomon. Good for you, woman. They're beginning to address the little destructive sins that could ruin their relationship. And so the young woman continues to grow in security and respect for the king. She has a recurring dream of longing for him. And what happens next? She introduces him to her mother. <laughs> so he finally meets her mother. Uh, she is... She, uh, hmm. uh, when they meet the mom, they likely go into a place where the girl was conceived. That's why she says, you know, hey, sit here on the bed. <laughs> okay? What does Solomon do? Whoa. <laughs> Not the right time again. Loved meeting your mom. Great. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down here. And he exhorts her to wait for the right time for intimacy. When will that time be? The soon coming wedding day. That was the first movement. Second movement. The king is going to marry his bride. So he's courted her. Now he's going to marry her. So beginning partway through 6, remember it again, and there's the 
the women of Jerusalem shouting behind the curtain, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Wait. Wait. Beginning in 6, Who is this sweeping in from the wilderness like a cloud of smoke? It's Solomon's carriage, surrounded by 60 heroic men, the best of Israel's soldiers. And talks about them for a little bit. Talks about his carriage for a little bit. It was decorated with love by the young women of Jerusalem. And the young women say, Come out to see King Solomon, young women of Jerusalem. He wears the crown his mother gave him on his wedding day, his most joyous day. And so they wind up getting married. The wedding day comes in magnificent splendor, and the bride expresses the fullness of her feelings. And that's uh, in 6 through 11. I, I, I didn't, but I know some people back in the day stayed up. What time was Diana's wedding? Like 4 a.m. I know there were quite a few people who got up and watched that wedding. That is this. Here comes Solomon in his carriage. And if we would have had television, this would have been televised. Because here comes the king in his carriage. Picks up the girl. They go and, and they get married. Chapter 4 uh, is, and through uh, the first verse of chapter 5, is the honeymoon. So chapter 4-ish is the honeymoon, and what has been off-limits until now becomes the source of great delight for both of them. And there's poetic imagery in there to help us understand that. So things that were off-limits are now uh, enjoyed. So the king marries his bride... Uh, and the young women of Jerusalem shout out again, Oh, lover and beloved, eat and drink. Yes, drink deeply of your love. And so they enjoy um, a honeymoon together. Beginning in verse 2 of chapter 5, we get another, another shift. You probably felt it, and you're like, Wow, that was abrupt. We seem to leave from one thing to another. That's because this is the next section. The next section is 5.2 through 6.13. Remember, the people who originally put the verse, chapter and verse markings in the Bible, some, someone actually has speculated that they had the manuscript. Let's say they had their Hebrew manuscript, and they were riding a horse, and every time the horse hit the paper is where they put a verse marking. Because sometimes they just don't make sense. So if you are reading this in Hebrew, there are no chapter and verses. You're just reading. You're just reading. Okay? So you're like, well, why, would a chap why would a new section start in 5-2? Well, Solomon, when he's writing it, doesn't go chapter 5, verse 2. He's just writing. Somebody came back later and put in the chapter and verses. So they begin life now after the honeymoon. 85 years, 85, 85 years, okay? Hmm. Uh, they were asked, 
is fighting important? And they both said, never physically, but agree that it's okay to disagree and fight for what really matters. Learn to bend, not break. 85 years. Chapter 5, verse 2. I slept, so now the wife, I slept, but my heart was awake. I know it's on the paper, and so you can look at it, but you've felt this. I slept, but my heart was awake. You're anxious about something, right? You get, that, get the poetry there? When I heard my lover knocking and calling, open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. He's been working late again. Funny how relevant this is. He's been working late again. He knocks on her door in the evening. Unexpected. But I responded, meaning she responds. I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? These days we'd say, talk to the hand. I've already taken my robe off. Already washed my feet. I'm in bed. Not coming. Knock away. Uh-oh. <laughs> Man, sounds... Doesn't sound like anything in my life, but I'm sure it sounds like something in your lives. Anybody connect with this? This is so, this is so 2020. But I responded, oh yeah, I said that. My lover tried to unlatch the door, and my heart thrilled within me. What's the problem? It's bolted from the inside. <laughs> I jumped up to open the door for my love, and my hands dripped with perfume. So she's changed her mind about things. Uh, I put, uh, yeah, she pulls back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but could not find him anywhere. What has she responded to? His kindness and his gentleness. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds. They beat and bruised me and stripped off my veil, those watchmen on the walls. Make this promise, O women of Jerusalem. If you find my lover, tell him I am weak with love. Now you're thinking, whoa, you just beat up Solomon's wife. You're probably going to jail or you're going to be dead. Right? That's what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. <clears throat> Let me tell you what's happening. He's been working late again and comes to her bedroom unanticipated. She's indifferent. Gives him the silent treatment. He doesn't force the issue, and she finds herself responding to his kindness. But he leaves and goes back into the night. She repents not because of his punishment, but of under another's, capital A, chastening hand. The Lord seems to have had a, 
a short little conversation with her, the watchmen who were awake at that time. The Lord is talking to her about what's going on. And so she thinks, you know what? I'm going to let him in. But he's not there. So she is now weak with love. Uh, and then she describes him in, uh, let's see, she starts in 10. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there's some great things there. Uh, I particularly like, you know, his body is like bright ivory glowing with lapis lazuli. Boy, that speaks to me. Honey, Valentine's Day is coming. If you want to write me a poem, it's right here. It's just right here. My cheeks are like gardens of spices. Mm. Where does she finally find him? In other words, she probably reminds herself where he's gone, and he's gone to his garden, to his spice beds, and gather the lilies. I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies, and so she knows where he is, or she remembers where he usually goes, and she goes down to find him. And they find each other then, um, and he, you know, honey, this is what you're getting. Uh, your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are as white as sheep that are freshly washed. Your smile is flawless. That's true. Each tooth matched with its twin. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Uh, I love that. So they go to a, a special place and they begin to resolve the conflict, her heart has changed, and she again wants to be with him. She reminds herself of who he is. She knows where he is, and that brings a renewed sense of security. She comes to him apologetic. He's forgiving and tender with her, not harsh. And he reminds her that she's unique and holds a special place in his sight. So that's most of the way through chapter 6. Um, they finally, in 6, beginning in about verse 10, um, through a few more verses there, you'll allow me to summarize it this way. His love, embrace, and forgiveness restore her and make her grow, and they resolve the conflict by making up, which is fun. If you knew Hebrew, they, that's what 11 through 13 means. They had fun. Really? No laughing at all over that one? Did you not get it? Should I say it again? I'll say it more slowly this time. So they've resolved the conflict. Marital love. Marital love has a beginning. It has a wedding. It has struggles and conflicts it has to go through on the other side. What happens also from time to time with married love? Chapter 7, 
they have to kindle romance. Sorry, 85 years. 85 years. Do you think once or twice they might have had to rekindle their romance? Probably yes. I, just, I love how the scriptures know who we are. So they have to, in chapter 7, basically, they have to rekindle their romance. They've had a little fight, and they have to um, move past it and rekindle their romance. So it's clear romance doesn't just happen. And how does he uh, begin to speak to her? How beautiful are your sandaled feet? Honey, you need to wear more sandals. Oh, queenly maiden. And he, I guess these are great things. Uh, your navel is perfectly formed like a goblet filled with mixed wine. Your neck is as beautiful as an ivory tower. Your nose is as fine as the Tower of Lebanon overlooking Damascus. It was a compliment. I mean, she's like, oh, I'm faint. I need another raisin cake. So he begins to uh, speak kind words to her. And these first things are interestingly enough, uh, way more about her character than they are about her physical beauty. He moves on to the physical beauty in 5 and 6. Uh, the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. The king is held captive by its tresses. Oh, how beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love. How full of delights. And then he moves from character to beauty to desirability, how desirable she is in his eyes. And so the king praises and affirms his wife as he's kindling romance. He praises and affirms his wife with intimate words, spoken with maturity and tenderness, Uh, men, if there's one thing that's hard for us, it's that one. For some reason, when it comes to girls, we kind of got stuck in seventh or eighth grade. Guess what? Our wives didn't. <laughs> we have to grow up. And I speak as a fellow journey, a uh, fellow traveler <laughs> on this road, <laughs> not as one who knows what he's doing. But this Intimate words spoken with maturity and tenderness is how the scriptures are telling us you want to rekindle your romance. This is how to do it. Talk about her character. Of course, talk about her beauty. And then Solomon moves into her desirability to him. Point, he truly longs for her. Not for other women, but for her. 
Do our wives know that they are the only one for us? Do they know that? He truly longs for her. So the king praises and affirms his wife, then she's going to come back and is responsive to his words. And she, in 7 through 7, 11, and 12, is determined to lure him to herself. She's creative in appealing to him and is spontaneous and passionate. Where did it start? Men. Where did it start? Mature, intimate words. Spoken about our wives' characters. To us. So that Laurie knows she's the only girl for me. This particular wife is determined then, based on those things, to she actually takes the initiative for the first time in the book. She wants to lure him to herself. <coughs> Romance must be awakened and nurtured. If you've been married for any length of time, you know that romance can go up and down. How do you begin to kindle it? Here's some thoughts. Some thoughts from Solomon. The book ends actually with a great point. They talk in 5 through 14. Place me like, here's verse 6, place me like a seal of ownership over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy as enduring as the grave, meaning it's permanent. Um, if a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned because it's precious. Uh, let's see. Then we talk about the brothers a little bit. Let's see, through 14, yeah. Um, the brothers speak about how their little sister, they were watching over their little sister because true love needs to be protected in the home. And they were watching her maturity and her morality. And she declares that um, she was both and seems to be grateful for their protection. Um, she was a servant to her brothers, and she's ready to, in, in that context, because in that context, the father didn't do the giving away, the eldest brother did. So the eldest brother was in charge of the daughters, of the girls. And so that's why are the brothers doing this to her? Because the brothers are in charge of her getting married off. So they're making sure she's growing up in a good home and that she would make a great spouse for the right man. And so they've put her to work. They've raised her right. 
And at the very end, come away, my love, verse 14. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Run off together forever. So they're committed for life. The couple's commitments get stated in in chapter 8. Their love is providential. He saw her under the apple tree. Their love is permanent. We talked about that. Their love is precious. It can't be bought. And he speaks then in 8 and 9 about the truth of biblical marital love. The principle, it's to be protected until the time is right. That kind of love is to be protected until the time is right. The timing of that, the timing of the right time, is evidenced by maturity. Has the person, man or woman, been obedient to God and family? And have they been patient? So you'll know when it's time, when there's a level of maturity. You'll also know when it's evidenced by morality, that they're maintaining their own purity. It's also evidenced by the readiness to enter into a mutual, lifelong commitment to serve one another. Some three three markers on what the book is trying to tell us about marital love. It's to be protected. You're waiting for the time is right. You'll know the time is right when there's a level of maturity, morality, and an ability to enter into a lifelong commitment of service, serving one another. Great book. Talks about marital love. Not everything about marital love, but hits some high points. I think it does it very, very well. Let's make some applications. It takes hard work to love your spouse well. Let me begin to those who are not currently married. Put character ahead of looks. Put together a spouse values checklist. Make absolutely sure they're running in the same direction and at your spiritual pace. The worst thing you can do is if you're looking for a spouse is find somebody who's running way faster than you, way slower than you, or running in a different direction altogether. Put character ahead of looks. Put together a values checklist. Be mature. Be obedient to God and be patient. What did Herbert and Zelmira say? What is your advice to someone who's trying to keep the faith that Mr. Wright or Miss Wright is really out there? And she says, mine was just around the corner. He's never too far away, so keep the faith. When you meet him or her, you'll know. It'll become very clear. So be mature. Be obedient to God and be patient. Be moral. Protect your purity and the other person's purity. Wait until there's a mutual commitment to a lifetime of serving one another. You deserve it, and so do they. To the married, 
resolve conflict biblically. Um, if you don't know what that means, um, I'd be happy to talk to you afterward about that. Resolve it biblically. Kindle your romance. What does that mean? Men, offer genuine words of praise and affirmation to your wife, said with maturity and tenderness. Study your wife. Speak to her about her character, her beauty, and her desirability to you. Women, take the initiative from time to time to draw your husband to yourself. Be creative in appealing to him. Be spontaneous and passionate. It takes hard work to love your spouse well and to love them for 85 years. The record has been set. Let's see if we can break it. For next week, read Proverbs. I know there are 31 chapters. Don't let any moss grow. <laughs> You've got about five chapters a day. But you can do it. You just have to decide you're going to read all of Proverbs, and you can do it in a week. Trust me, you can do it. Let me pray for us, and we'll be on our way for tonight. Oh, Father, thank you for this wonderful picture of marital love uh, with Solomon and his beloved. Uh, there are so many important lessons for us. Uh, help us take them to heart. For those we think we can't do or we know we've failed at doing in the past or even last week or even yesterday, would you empower us and strengthen us to step out again and follow your word. Be encouraged and be exhorted by your word to love our spouse this way. We love you and pray that you would do that, please. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.